Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us at the Page One Podcast, where we like to talk to writers of all kinds about uh, their writing careers, their process, and try and get as many hints and tips as possible from them. Um, We've had some great guests on. uh, This is our 49th episode, as I said. We've almost made that half century mark. Almost. Almost. Um, We'll be here the last one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But yeah, please do check out the past episodes. There's all sorts of writers, authors, screenwriters, journalists, uh, video game writers, comic writers. So uh, if you're interested in writing at all, then there should be someone there for you. Um, And we've got... A, a, a first this week, Tarek, because we do. Our guest is a writer, but also he's also a vice president, an <laughs> yes. executive managing editor, and a copy chief at Random House US. Yes, very exciting, Mister Benjamin Dreyer. Mm-hmm. He uh, started off as a freelance proofreader and a copy editor, and he's worked his way up to become pretty much the top dog in the editing world over at Random House by the sounds of it. Exactly. And it it was interesting speaking to him because, you know, copy editor is something that maybe a lot of people have heard of, but they don't, you know, what's the difference between a copy editor, a production editor, and as uh, Benjamin calls it, an editor editor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, so he doesn't really get involved, or a copy editor doesn't really get involved in um, structuring the story or anything like that. It's more looking at the actual words and the structure of the sentences and does it flow and is there an inadvertent rhyme? Uh, is there a word that the author keeps using uh, that, that could be changed and things like that? So Yeah. Um, it's, that kind of guy comes in and, and polishes the the prose to the real, you know, the, to it's shining, so you can see your face in it. Exactly, that's it, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not changing the author's voice, it's like trying to get the best version of the author's exactly, voice. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he's written uh, recently uh, Dryer's English, which is a sort of style guide, but it's, yeah. it's, I would say it's a slightly unusual style guide because it's not like dry at all. It's very, pardon the pun on the name, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's very amusingly written. And yeah. because of that, you you retain the information much more and we talked to him about that process how he how he went about writing that and why he went about writing that um and also talked to him about a game that came off the back of dryer's english as well called state uh, which sounds like a good party game i definitely want to get a copy and um hear about his writing plans for the future as well and absolutely yeah and even if you're not into the minutia of the editing world i think there's a lot to get from this and i think everybody will really enjoy it yeah really, and really fun chat. He, he's it is fun and he's a really entertaining guy he's got good anecdotes as well so um really hope you enjoy the episode we will be back at the end of the episode with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest for our 50th episode the milestone uh, but uh, in the meantime we'll leave you with a quick advert for our page one writer's notebook and then uh, we'll get on with the podcast On with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. 
But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. You are, in fact, we've had authors, screenwriters, video game writers, comics writers, all sorts of writers, but you're the first person that we've had from sort of behind the scenes, if you like, of the publishing industry. Now, did you grow up wanting to get into the publishing world or did you grow up wanting to be a writer how, how did you find that path into that industry I, I i wandered into um i wandered into publishing absolutely accidentally um when i was uh, a kid and growing up i got it into my head that i wanted to be an actor right and uh, in pursuit of that i went to uh, Northwestern University in Illinois, which is one of the most you know renowned theater universities in the country. The problem was that I found out pretty early on that I was in classes with a lot of um, other students who were, to my view, vastly more talented than I was, and I could see that. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I couldn't sign on, you know, at the age of nineteen to be a mediocrity. Now, if I had had a better sense of, you know, self-possession, I might have simply just redoubled my efforts and thought, well, I'm going to figure out how to do this. But I didn't have that. I just didn't have it in me. So I, I, I wandered away from it. Um, I let it go. I spent a lot of my 20s very happily doing not much of anything at all because, you know, uh, after having, you know, worked so hard to be educated. It was like, I just felt like goofing off. So I goofed yeah. off a lot. And I, I did a lot of things. I mean, I did a lot of what, what, what people often do when they can't think of anything better to do, which was like waited on tables and I bartended. Um, but there was a part of me that wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And I did work for, uh, for a while for one of the um, uh, local papers in Chicago doing film and theater reviews, which I enjoyed hugely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did try my hand at, at writing some fiction. Um, 
what I found was that, again, it was, you know, it was how my brain was and was not wired. I began to find the process very difficult and very painful. Mm -hmm. And I recall a friend of mine saying to me, there's nothing worse than always being in a state of I'm not writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so once again, it was the, it was the, it was perhaps the right effort at the wrong time, uh, to, to, to get to the point. I, I had a friend who was a much published writer and I remember asking him once if he thought there was something I could do in the publishing industry, since I knew nothing about the publishing industry. And he suggested to me that I might make a good, um, proofreader because, you know, I have, uh, I have a good eye. Uh, for that sort of thing. And he introduced me to his production editor, uh, the production editor being, uh, or, or, I mean, there are various terms for it in various companies, but uh, to, to, to my mind, the production editor is the person in the publishing house who hires the copy editor, who hires the proofreaders, right. who squires the book through the whole process after the actual editing process is, is, is complete. In any event, she um, hired me to do proofreading uh, sight unseen. It was a great leap on her part, um, but I took to it, I, and I, I I loved it, and I and I had a knack for it, mm -hmm. um, and and I started doing it, and I started doing it more. And as I was doing it, I mean, she was giving me great feedback, job after job after job, which is was so valuable uh, to me about the things that I I didn't know. Uh, but I also realized that my whole approach to it, aside from having a good eye for a typo, was that I had, an, that I had a knack, that I had an ear, yeah. but I didn't have the names for any of the things I was supposed to know. I just sort of knew this would be better if it were something else. Yeah. So I, I really started to read the style manuals to, to learn uh, the details of grammar, which, to be perfectly honest, I had never really been taught. Uh, in in school, um, because you know, like I said, if if, if you're going to do a job like that, it's good that you know what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, the, the funny thing about it is, is that once you've studied all that stuff, once you've learned it, once you've begun to internalize it, you can go right back to forgetting what everything is called because it's not the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the point is to improve it, to improve writing. Uh, if you have the knowledge great if you if you know what these things are great but that's not what you're bringing to the job you're you're going right back to bringing your ear yeah with you so, so so when you're when you when you sit down and you were doing these test jobs and you were learning the craft and stuff what was a typical day you know what 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 was the actual job what in, what kind of stuff were you having to do day by day well i started out as a proofreader so i would be sitting in my apartment and working on page proofs that she would send me or that i would go uh, I would go pick up from her. And so I would have, you know, to, to the left, I had the manuscript, which had, um, you know, all of the copy editing written on it and the author's responses to it. So that was really a huge part of my education because mm -hmm. that's where I saw what copy editing was, yeah. what copy editors were asking and how authors responded to it. But what I was doing as the proofreader, on, on uh, to my right, I have the page proofs. And essentially... The job is look at the page proofs, look at the manuscript, and make sure that everything that's on the manuscript page has successfully made its way to the page proofs. Uh, now, in, in those days, so this is like the early 1990s, very pre-digital era, mm -hmm. 
um, you know, manuscripts are probably being typed. Authors aren't really even much doing word processing, and those manuscripts are being Xeroxed, and then they are being sent to compositors to be keyboarded by hand. Wow. Um, and, and so the thing is, you would have typos then because the process was a matter of people reading other people's handwriting yeah. and trying to figure out what they were writing. So you would in those days have a lot more uh, typos mm -hmm. uh, than we have now. I mean, nowadays when you go to page proofs because you're working on a word file that has been corrected and changes are put in and the whole thing's very clean, it's very hard to have a typographical error. All you really find yourself finding are things that have gone unnoticed. Right. Which, you know, which happens because mm -hmm. nobody could be everywhere all at once. Yeah. Um, so I love doing it. I mean, it's really like just sort of, it's, 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 it's problem solving. It's like doing a puzzle, uh, you know, eight, eight hours a day. But, but what was fascinating was to, to, to watch the copy editing conversation, to see the sorts of suggestions that copy editors were making, which was not simply, oh, you've misspelled this word. Mm -hmm. Or I want to like fix your punctuation a little bit. It was, you know, pointing out uh, logistical problems, pointing out uh, that an author had put what seemed to be an inadvertent rhyme, uh, right. mm -hmm. you know, in a, in, in a line or, um, or authors, you know, authors all have pet words. I mean, authors each have their own pet words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's like you keep hitting that word. You keep saying, it's like, this is the fifth relentlessly I have noticed in five pages. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, so that's what, so that's what you're, you know, that's what you're doing as a, as a copy editor. The one thing it took me an awfully long time to learn, not an awfully long time, it took me a while to learn is that I think when you get started, when you, well, if, if, if you were me and you're maybe a little, uh, uh, less than absolutely secure in your own gifts for this sort of work, you tend to get stricter than is strictly speaking necessary. Mm -hmm. So you're, 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 you're fixing and you're fussing. Uh, what you really have to learn, I think if you really want to be a good copy editor is to how to bring that great sense of improvement to the page, but also very much to listen to what the writer is trying to do before you decide that you're going to make it yeah. better. I, I always suggest to copy editors, you know, try to read the first 30, 35, 40 pages of a manuscript with your hands by your side um, before you start, before you start changing. Yeah, no, so, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I, I was going to ask about that, the sort of the, re the relationship between the author and the copy editor. I mean, do authors respond differently you know different authors respond differently to suggestions that are made to them are some of them very very stubborn in in the suggestions that you're making to them um i have found uh i have found over the years that that good writers uh tend to very much love to be well copied mm. and the well in that is very important um <laughs> uh you know Writers, writers love when a copy editor is paying so much attention to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And of course, what writer wouldn't like somebody who's reading their sentences down to the microscopic level? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, 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 and good authors will respond uh, appropriately. And, and it's not to say that every suggestion a copy editor makes is brilliant. 
uh, and and that you know and, and writers shouldn't always say yes. Mm. Writers should say no. Uh, it's 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 their book, and I think that as a copy editor, I think my my feelings would be hurt if the writer just said yeah 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 yeah. It's like you, it's like I did all this work. You have yeah. to like care enough to say no yeah. every now and then. Yeah. Um, but there are other writers who do not take kindly to being copy edited because they view it as an affront. They view it as a challenge. They view it as somebody saying, your writing is not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can uh, see that. And, 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 and they don't always um, respond well. I mean, it, it, it used to be, uh, you know, it, it, it used to be, again, back in the days and shortly after I arrived at Random House when I'm no longer a freelancer but actually you know, working in a department. I've become that production editor. Mm-hmm. I've become the person hiring the copy editors. Well, there would be days when one of us would get a manuscript back from an author and we would all sit down and and look, because again, we're still on paper in those days, um, look at the response. <laughs> like look at the at the at the growing fury page by page <laughs> by page um, as 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 the writer is increasingly uh, uh, not happy with what's with, with, with what is going on. An, an absolute true story is that I remember being shown a manuscript in which the copy editor had made basically the same suggestion twenty times over the course of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it was the same mistake twenty times over the course of the manuscript, and the, the first time the author didn't like the change, the author crossed it out and wrote. Stet. The second time the author saw the change, the author crossed it out and wrote Stet in all capital letters with an exclamation mark. And then the third time the author wrote in the margin, I said Stet. <laughs> it's like as if we were there doing the job <laughs> in real time. Oh, and does it make a difference, you know, as a job? you're being as a copy editor you're being given by the production editor it sounds like the the, the manuscript to work on of a, of a specific author um you know i'm just trying to imagine being in that role if you're given a bad book or a you know a bad manuscript or a good manuscript how does that affect your job does it make your job harder or do you actually quite like it because there's there's a lot to do sort of a thing yeah it's it's hard working on a bad manuscript mm-hmm. and 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 when i was a freelancer and 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 basically if you if you want to be an effective and hireable freelancer um you you, you try to say yes every time mm-hmm. somebody offers you yeah. a job I mean, if you have those space in your schedule to do it, because um, you, you can't get too fussy, you can't get too picky. But you, yeah, I would find myself working on books sometimes that I thought were terrible. And it can be very frustrating for a copy editor. You're trying to do the best you can to, to do your job, uh, to, to, to improve what is in fact on the page. Mm-hmm. The temptation to rewrite can be huge. Um, I, I don't miss being a freelance copy editor taking whatever jobs were being put in front mm-hmm. of me. Uh, I, I remember once being given a job and, and the word came down from the editor to the production editor to me that was basically tell Benjamin to do whatever he wants. You know, the editor said, I've been through this five times. I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> tell him to do whatever he wants. So I rolled up my sleeves and I... I, I 
I, I did whatever I wanted and I rewrote sentences and I changed things and I did this and I did that. And, and I didn't enjoy it even a little. And when it was all over and I did finally see the finished book and I remember leafing through it and thinking, you want to know what? It's still terrible. <laughs> and, and, and nothing I could do was ever going to make it be anything other than terrible. But I, I put blood into it and, and I realized for no good reason. Yeah. And, 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 and you begin to realize that you just simply need to respect your own boundaries and, and to recognize that the manuscript is what the manuscript is. So you do the best you can and, um, and then, you know, get on with it. To, to that extent, do you, do you, have you ever, I suppose it was maybe when you were a freelancer, but you ever get into that position of going, why, why am I even looking at this? Why did someone decide to, <laughs> to, to say, let's go ahead with this? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, to be perfectly honest, yes, you, yes, you do. Uh -huh. um, and, and, you know, some of the jobs that I did as a freelancer were for, um, you know, houses whose attitude toward publishing was if we throw enough pasta at the wall, some of it's going to stick. Mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, you know, so... So, you know, that's, that's, that's the way it would be. I, 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 am, I, I, I am happy to say, um, and, and I no longer, except on extremely rare occasions, put my own hands on manuscripts. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a process in my past, but, uh, you know, I have a whole huge department of production editors and we do talk about, you know, manuscripts that are troubled and uh, our product's pretty good. You know, it's pretty good when we start with it. So it's, 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 um, the copy editors are very rarely frustrated with, 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 with what they are um, working on. And I really have to say, I mean, it's not, um, I mean, I am in many ways a snob about a lot of things, but I'm not really a snob about writing. I, I like writing that's good, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's yeah. pretty much it. And, and I, I always like to remember that, of, of the hundreds of books that I worked on when I was a freelancer, there's, there's one that I just, I don't know. It just, it, 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 it got under my skin in this way. I just, because I so enjoyed working on it. And it was a, um, it was a, uh, it was a, like a, 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 a Regency romance called Emily goes to Exeter. <laughs> and, and it was just, you know, it was just this lovely little story about this retired governess who gets in a, uh, gets in a stagecoach because she's never been anywhere. Maybe she's going to, well, she's going to Exeter and, and there are romantic entanglements and all these things going on. And it was just such a lovely, beautifully told story that I, I've carried this memory with me for decades of how much I loved this little Regency romance. <laughs> and it, it, it sounds to me like from what you're saying that a copy editor's job um kind of slots in amongst a whole lot of other people's job because you've got the author, you've got the manuscript, and then you've got also, the, I presume, a story editor or an editor who's working on the overall plot. And and, and that's not something I take a copy editor would, would ever have any say on or on the, on the whole larger structure of a story. It's really just the minutia of the sentences, et cetera. Is that, is that right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. The, 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 the books actual editor, you know, I, I always call those people the editor editors, you know, they're the ones who like contracted the book for the house yeah. and, and working on it with the author for who knows how many years, drafts back and forth, back and forth. 
I mean, they work on the really big ticket stuff, you know, uh, pace and story arc and, and which characters need to be brought up a little bit and which characters need to be pushed back a little bit. Um, uh, I, I remember once having a, uh, uh, I, I was in the office of our publisher, uh, editor-in-chief, uh, Susan Camel, one of the, the greatest, I mean, I, I've worked with a lot of really amazing editors. Um, Susan, was, Susan was extraordinary. And I remember Susan describing to me uh, problems she was having, work she was having on a particular manuscript, and the, the way she was describing to me what was going on and what she thought about it and how it needed to be fixed really very much made me realize the difference between what an editor does and what a copy editor does, because what she was describing to me was this sort of, I mean, it was like alchemy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's what you do, huh? <laughs> um, because what, what, what I do as a copy editor, I mean, a copy editor's sense of big picture is making sure that the plot is logical from the beginning to the end, that the calendar doesn't go awry. It's not a copy editor's job to say, I don't like that character yeah. or this yeah. is too long. Mm. Copy editors work, I, I guess the best way is to, to, to think of it is editors work, you know, big arcs, big picture, although a lot of editor, you know, a lot of editor editors also really like getting into the nitty gritty of sentences. Yeah. But they also know that somebody's going to work on that later. Um, copy editors are working paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence, you know, rhythm, punctuation, pet words, inadvertent rhymes, that sort, you know, that sort of thing. So it's very in the, you know, it's, it's, it's very like nitty gritty down to the, mm -hmm. down to the nuclear details. Yeah. And you, you said you don't uh, uh, get involved in the actual copy editing very much anymore. So what, what is your day to day now? What are you doing now? My, well, my day-to-day -day, my, my, my day -day life now is that uh, I, I, wear, I wear two hats, and this is fairly standard in, in American publishing, that in any given group, the so-called managing editor and the so-called copy chief are going to be the same person. Right. Um, so as managing editor, uh, it's a matter of lots and lots of conversations with the publishers, making sure that everything is staying on schedule, making sure that books that need to be done as opposed to our standard nine or 10 months books that for often very good reasons need to be done much faster, get done. Mm -hmm. um, you're right in the middle of everybody wanting information, whether they're in publicity or marketing. It's like, when is this? What is this? Where is this? And so you, you're doing a lot of that. And so you're, you're, you know, you're, you're changing on sale dates, you're changing prices, you're nagging editors where the manuscripts mm -hmm. are. And, and of course, I, you know, and I work with, I have my staff of managing editors that work with me. I mean, it's a, it's a great big group. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you know, my group is the Random House group, which is part of Penguin Random House, which is, which is massive. But there are other divisions that are none of my business. But yeah. my my business is you know is the random house group. So as as, as managing editor, basically it's uh, to to use what can be an unsavory metaphor given its twentieth century history. You're you're making the trains run on time. Um, <laughs> as as copy chief, my responsibility is in working with my production editors just to make sure that we are all doing our best jobs to make sure that the books are are copy edited and proofread beautifully and brilliantly so that the books that we publish 
um, are as close to perfect as is arguably possible to achieve. Um, and, 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 and some of it is the same stuff that I've been doing for decades, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that, that everybody's paying attention. But uh, a lot of it lately has been, you know, the evolution of language and how we're dealing with, with, with changes in, in style, uh, changes in the way people the way people write, how they express themselves, and, and keeping up with that. Um, it, it's, it's a danger in a copy editor to be uh, too hidebound, to be too, like, this is the way it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, you got to pay attention to what, um, to how things are, are, are changing. Yeah. And that must be quite a difficult thing, because we've all read books where the, the vernacular or the style of it is so crazy, either maybe it's a sci-fi book or it's something like it's just written in a really colloquial local style and and is that it's and i can see the temptation there to to kind of flatten that out or normalize it a little bit and is it how do you know how much to to lean into that how much to pull back to keep it readable and is that quite hard it it is it is really a matter of in you know in that in that preliminary read when you're not touching the manuscript yeah. like okay this is what the author is doing yeah if a manuscript is written in a fairly sort of standard nonfiction journalistic kind of style well it's like okay that's the cap I'm going to put on when I'm working on that manuscript uh, as you start sort of leaning to the left and you're working on fiction and it's getting odder and more eccentric. Well, it's like, it's like, okay, what's going on here and how am I going to support it? Mm. Um, the copy editor who ultimately copy edited um, my book um, uh, is, is a great favorite among authors because she's, she's so good at listening to what they are what they are doing and and one of the authors who's particularly keen on her is george saunders right. um which if you if you've read george you know that he has his very uh fascinating ear and eye and and hand and 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 what is on the page is is going to be unusual and um their their point of uh getting to love each other was when George wrote this story called Fox 8, which is narrated by a fox. It's narrated by a fox who has learned English by listening at the windows of people's houses. <laughs> and, and what he hears then sort of goes into his brain and comes out in how he thinks things are spelled or, or what words are. I mean, for instance, he thinks that there's a, there's a verb called he goes which of course is attached to dialogue, yeah. blah, 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 he goes. And, and so Bonnie worked on that. And, and of course she wasn't going to flatten it out. Like, like you said, which is the great danger of copy editors, like not getting jokes yeah. and then flattening them out. Yeah. But she was like in there and it was like, okay, this is a little inconsistent. This is maybe not clear in a way. I think, I don't think you intend. Mm -hmm. um, but working within the context of what he had done to, to, to just make it even more effective than it was. Well, they fell in love with each other, so they just keep working together all the time. I mean, so it's, it's sort of like a fine, it sounds like it's almost like fine-tuning the author's voice, you know, the writer's voice, rather than imposing a, a sort of house style or something on it. It's more, what is this voice and how can I make it sound as best as possible, basically? 
I mean, exactly. And one of the things that, you know, that, that I was, I remember being taught when I arrived at, at Random House, and, and it's a sort of a theme that we carry on, uh, is that Random House doesn't have a house style. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, aside from doing the same things that everybody does, yeah. you know, setting movies in italics and songs and, you know, Roman and quotation marks and, and observing rudimentary rules of how things get, you know, printed, every book needs to be approached on its own terms. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's what we, you know, that's what we do. That's how we, that's how we try to do it, not to impose on an author something that is unnatural. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but, but again, uh, the other part of it, the balancing act is that one of the things you want to do as a copy editor is you're protecting the author and and if an author is uh i mean if an author is going to do something that's peculiar or unusual and you as the copy editor think a this isn't really as effective as you might think it is b maybe you're not even aware that you're doing something that's mm -hmm. eccentric or is 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 generally considered to be non-standard uh and then also it's like if we can if, if we can fix this now, then you're not going to get called out in public after the fact for not being a good not being a good writer. I mean, as I always like to say, if a writer wants to irritate readers, do it for a good reason and do it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good uh, approach. I think I like that. Yeah, um, and it, I think recently, I understand it was a few years ago, you decided to go back to writing. Is is that right? You, you decided to give that another try, which of course led to Dryer's uh, English. Um, do, you want, do you want to tell us a bit about how that came about then? Yeah, um, that, that, that came about, um, that came about, in fact, and this is, this is a, as I've been realizing lately, most of my really good stories lately seem to involve uh, my colleague, Susan Camel, who, uh, who, who died last year. Oh. Um, we lost a lot. I mean, uh, Susan was, was on the young side and that was a great, it, it was a great loss, but she's, um, she was really important to me, um, uh, on, on every possible level. So the, the, the story then is that, um, Susan calls me one afternoon and says, uh, you know, we're publishing Elizabeth Strauss next novel. And I was like, well, of course I'm the managing editor. I would know that. Um, and she said, Liz asked me if I would ask you if you would copy edit the manuscript. And Susan says that she told Liz, well, you know, Benjamin doesn't really do that anymore. Uh, but she said, but I'll ask him. And so she asked me and I was like, yeah, I think I can find time to copy edit one of my favorite writers. I mean, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Stroud, you know, the author of uh, Olive Kittredge, which was you know, just spectacular. Uh, the spectacular book. Anyway, so I, I did copy edit, copy edit it, and in the process of copy editing it, and Liz is now the only writer I copy edit, um, uh, and, and we've done now. I think we're on our fifth book, um, so I get I get to keep my hand uh, yeah. in it. But in 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 copy editing the Burgess Boys, I reconnected with the joy that I that I had forgotten. Uh, about how much I like to copy edit, mm -hmm. which then led me to thinking, oh, maybe I want to write a book about copy editing. 
And, and then once again, there I am, barging into Susan Campbell's office and saying, Susan, I think I want to write a book. And, um, and, 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 and so she encouraged me. And that's how this happened. And it's a really uh, useful book, you know, as, as a writer, but also it's written in a, it, it has that unique voice. It has a very humorous uh, tone throughout the whole book, but that it, it's so much easier to take things on board in, when it's delivered in that way than some sort of dry style guide. Um, so, I mean, I, I take it that was always the intention was to, to have a bit of fun with it as well. It was always the intention, though. It, it, it was not always showing up in the execution. <laughs> um, and, and for the first year and a half, two years I was working on the book, I was writing a lot of stuff that was really sort of dry. And even I was bored with it, looking at it. And I was like, this just isn't working. Um, and, and, and finally, I, I realized what was called for. And it was really about trying to write something that was... I mean, I, I make a lot of jokes or at least half jokes in the book about don't do this don't do that don't ever do that but I, I like to think that I do it with at least enough of a wink so that the, the reader gets that I'm deadly serious and joking at the same yeah. time yeah um, but as many times as I possibly could I do try to phrase things in the this is what you can do should do might do uh, to, 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 to state things in the, inf in the affirmative rather than in the, uh, mm -hmm. rather than in the negative. And if, and if I am going to make a joke that's about never doing this, never doing that, I, I want the reader to feel that the reader's in on the joke with yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I wanted it to be a happy, friendly book, not 256 pages of finger wagging. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who needs that? And, and what what was the process like for you when you were, when you were writing this book? Because obviously you you'd done some writing at, at the start of of of, of your jobs, and then you you went into this other other path, and then you kind of went back to it again. And, and did you feel more confident, kind of second time around, because you were writing about stuff you you knew more about? It, it, it after a while, you know, there's there there was the great like click in my brain when yeah. it finally happened, but. I remember when I started writing that, uh, you know, all of my friends who were writers were saying to me, you know, in the nicest, most loving possible way, you are going to go through every crisis uh, uh, that you, that, that writers go through all, all the, I, I have no talent. I have no voice. Why does anybody want to read? And it's like, and I did, you know, um, it's, it's hard to write a book. And, and, I, and, and, and I, I like to think that I always had a lot of compassion uh, for the writers that we were working with, but I can tell you I have a lot more now. Um, but I, I did have great moments of doubt and terror and anxiety. And I did have a moment of marching into my editor's office and saying, if I cannot get it right, the next time I hand you a piece of text... <laughs> I want to get out of the contract. And I <laughs> and he laughed at me and he was like, honey, everything's going to be fine. You're a genius. We have great faith in you. And the next time I handed him a piece of text, he was like, you got it. You nailed it. And, and, and from that point on, I won't say that it was effortless, but it was really a matter of sit down, open up the word file and start 
typing mm-hmm. and 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 it 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 flowed mm-hmm. it finally flowed um it, the the process was supposed to be a lot shorter uh it took me fully 5 years to write the book before it was done when we thought oh it'll be done in a year and a half yeah. which was i think crazy what was i thinking um but i i i can say uh now happily that now that i have started working on my second book okay i i am not self terrified <laughs> like oh yeah i i mean it's like i know how to do this i know how to write so i just sit and i write and i make notes and i stick them in you know all over the place so i can find them later and does having written a book now does that change the way that you do your day to day job the way that you view other people's manuscripts or approach manuscripts now i i, I mean i think that it's all sort of it's all sort of coalesced into my my doing my job which i still have to do with a certain level of strictness mm-hmm. because a deadline is a deadline yeah. whether you yeah. like it or not um but i i i think that i like to think that i i i bring a little more sort of lovingness to the process than maybe <laughs> than, than maybe i did um, than maybe i did before but you know you still have to get the books published yeah. And and then also off uh, I think it was off the back of the book you you've developed a game as well state. Yes, there is a game. Oh, I, and I have it I have it on right here. So here's stet. There's there's stet. Excellent. And um stet came about because one of one of my sibling divisions that does um what well, we we teasingly refer to them as the paper products people. <laughs> Um, but they do calendars and journals oh. and games and and all that sort of stuff. And they came, they 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 came to me and they said, we 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 want to do something. We 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 think there's something to be done, mm-hmm. uh, fun to be had. And 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 in the one hand, they were thinking about a journal. On the other hand, they were thinking about a game. And we all decided that a game would be more fun. And um, and so now there's this game, and it's uh, it's 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 a hundred cards and on the front of each card is a is a sort of a sample sentence and you uh your job playing the game is to figure out what if anything is wrong with what's on the mm-hmm. front of the card and on the back of the card is the explanation and and some of them are much more the the, the grammar cards are are sort of straightforward it's like something is either correct or it's incorrect the style cards are where and i and i've been hearing about this from people who play the game the style cards are where the arguments break out, <laughs> which is which was great which is the whole point yeah, of it. absolutely um you know it's not you're not playing you know you're not playing monopoly it's it's it's, it's a game about playing with language and it needs to be as playful as uh, as writing as playful as uh, copy editing and um yeah and it's and it's 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 fun i i had a lot of collaboration uh, on it because of course these are people who make games for a living yeah. so they knew what they wanted and um, and just because there was so much uh, going on they they hired to 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 uh, to to as, as a collaborator a writer um, and 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 so she and 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 I suggested her because she's a good friend of mine who's a very good copy editor and a very good writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so she was brought on to to get it all sort of mapped out, um, and did an extraordinary job. And 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 it's one of the things that like when you're a copy editor, and you want to suggest uh, a better sentence, 
to a writer, you, you try to sound like the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, um, uh, she, as I, as I said, um, did a really good job at sounding more like me than I do. <laughs> so it, uh, I, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it. And people seem to be having a lot of fun with it. So yeah, no, it looks good. I'm, I'm very keen to, to pick it up. So yeah, I will do. I think it's available in the UK now as well. It is. It, 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 it is at your, at your local uh, Waterstones or, or wherever Excellent. else you want, want to get it. And um, if, if, this, is, this is a difficult question I'm going to throw you, but if, if you were to give a, a, a piece of advice to an author starting out in terms of a piece of writing advice, something, an error that you see in a lot of early manuscripts or something, what, what would that be? I, you know, I, I think that the, I think that the key piece of advice I, I would want to give to a writer is, is from the writer part of me before we get to from the mm-hmm. copy part of me. And the advice from the writer part of me is to try to find that mental space where you can write without constantly looking over your own shoulder while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and it's like when I write, I mean, it's like I don't go into a trance. I don't like sit down and three hours go by and it's like, oh, there are 6,000 words. Who wrote them? Uh, it's like, I know what I I'm wish, doing. Yeah. yeah, don't you wish? <laughs> it's like I know what I'm doing when I'm doing it. And I do have a little bit of the critical part of my brain is turned on while, I, while I'm working. But if you're if you're going to be judging and critiquing your own writing while you're doing it, you're going to be where I was, you know, mm-hmm. 30 years ago when I developed that awful, what was really basically writer's block. I mean, I, I scared myself to death mm-hmm. and, um, and, and paralyzed myself. So that's my, that's my advice as a, as writer to writer. Uh, I don't necessarily have like, here's the magic trick to achieve that. I just know that you have to figure it out. Yeah. Um, as a copy editor, I mean, the thing is, whatever sort of self-editing, self-copy editing you want to do when you're finished doing the actual writing, um, I mean, you know, there are all those millions of things that I, you know, the tricks that I have up my, uh, have up my sleeve about, you know, the grammatical blunders that everybody mm-hmm. makes, the words that nobody uh, knows how to, to spell properly, the fact that, you know, of writers think that the past tense of the verb to lead is spelled L-E-A-D as opposed to L-E-P. It's like, well, you know, there are things that people know and there are things that people don't know. And uh, if, if you, if you are in the position of wanting to go through your own writing and clean it up and clean it up and clean it up, um, then, then it really is just having a hundred little tricks up your sleeve and applying them. And they're, they're all in the book. Um, I guess the only other, the, the real key thing is that, you know, writers who are going to be published by a publishing house are going to go through that whole editorial, copy editorial, proofreading process. They've got a whole army of people yeah. supporting them. If you don't necessarily have that, uh, you know, if you're being published in a venue that doesn't give you a lot of copy editorial backup, the only thing that I can, that I can truly suggest is you always want another set of eyes on your writing. Yeah. So, find a buddy mm-hmm. and, and, and find somebody to give your writing to, and you know, they look at yours and you look at theirs 
because somebody else is always going to see things that you would never see. Well, it's funny. One of the techniques that that, that uh, you read about and that actually I have found does work sometimes is if if you if you've written something on Word, say, um, if you then transfer it into a different font or put it on your Kindle or something like that, somehow things will jump out at you more. Yeah, that's that's really true. Um, I've definitely found that on the Kindle for sure. When you, when you read it in a different format, somehow you're right, it does flag up things. No, that absolutely that absolutely works, and it, that is something that I that is something that I that I will do when I'm when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I mean, uh, again, putting the, the editorial brain on, I tend to uh, blow things up real big, mm-hmm. you know, to fill my you know my large screen so that you're almost immersed in it. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like you know, it's like it's like IMAX. <laughs> You know, so you so that nothing can get away yeah. from you. Yeah, uh, it, it. I mean, it is one of the things that 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 can happen is that when you're being published and you've gone back and forth with your editor and your copy editor, you know, in Times New Roman or you know whatever your font is, it's seeing the text designed, mm-hmm. you know, and laid out on a page by a designer, um, really makes you see things fresh. Yeah. Um, and 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 for some writers, that is a new point of panic. Um, <laughs> they, they just suddenly it looks terrible. Um, other writers, you know, you send them their page proofs, and 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 writers, of course, have the prerogative to do whatever they want when they get their page proofs. Mm-hmm. But basically, I mean, for a lot of writers, it's like I've seen this enough. I just want to yeah. read it, make sure it's okay, give it back to you, yeah. um, and and you know, and not rewrite it for the thirtieth. Yeah, yeah. I I I found that um, reading it out loud really helps me with like terms of the kind of the pace or the cadence of the sentences. It seems to help me click whether it's clunky or not. Um, Yeah, that was something that you do. I and 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 I I find that when I'm copy editing, if um, if I'm stuck on a sentence because it doesn't feel right, it doesn't look right, I and I can't figure out what it is. If I read it aloud, mm-hmm. um, alone in you know in my office, <laughs> um, it's like I can hear what doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. can hear what doesn't work. When I when I had the opportunity, I narrated my own audio, right? And 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 when I went in the studio to do that from the pages that were essentially everybody'd been through them, you know, as many times as they were ever going to be gone through. They were, I mean, they were done. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were ready to go to the printer, and so there I am, and I'm and I'm sitting there, and I'm reading the book aloud, and um, and I was as as a as a rule, I was satisfied with what I had done. <laughs> but there's a there's a there's a thing that I that I always uh, say as a copy editor, and I say into the book that uh, you know a good sentence is one that no matter how long and twisty it is, the reader can get from the beginning of the sentence to the end of the sentence without having to go back and start over again mm. because the writers put a piece of punctuation in a place that doesn't quite work or used a word, you know, that that can read as either a noun or a verb and you read it the wrong way. All those little things that can go wrong. Well, yeah. But in, in, in recording the book, I found that there were a few times where I had written one of those sentences that I got lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
And, um, and, and was it too and late by that was, stage or did you? Well, no, I mean, I, well, I would have pulled rank anyway, but there was, <laughs> there was enough time for me to go back in and fix a couple of little things that, that, that wanted, uh, that wanted fixing. I mean, it's, it's often the case that when our own writers record their own audiobooks, which is always at the end of the process, mm-hmm. we think that we're finished with a book, they will find something. I mean, sometimes they find a typo that got past everybody and God bless them for that. Um, cause you know, cause it happens. Uh, but sometimes something just doesn't sit right yeah. with them and, and they will ask if they can change it. And, and yeah, you know, it's if we have the time and it's, it's not a matter of like dropping a paragraph and then having to rerun 250 pages beyond that, yeah. which mm-hmm. is you know, beyond the pale, but little fixes. Yeah. I mean, we try to be, accommodating to our to to our writers i mean you want the book to come out the way everybody wants it mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah but no the reading aloud thing that's really that's really important that's that's really 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 important and so you said you're working on a second book are you able to share a bit more about that yeah um you know when 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 the first book came out and i had sworn that i that that was it I was done. Yeah. <laughs> One book. Um, uh, and then, of course, I'm having fun being a published writer. And it occurs to me that I might want to try it again, which, of course, you know, made my agent very happy. Um, and, and made the house happy. You know, it was like, it was like you don't contract with an author with the idea, yeah, one book and then you can go away. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah I'm going to put a lot of effort into this. Maybe we want to do it, you know, again. In any event. But the question was, what am I going to write? And, and people had a few ideas that I was appalled by. Uh, how about Dreyer's English for, for, for business writing? And I was like, nah, I'd kind of rather die. Uh, and, and then one of my, one of my friends, uh, uh, an editor in another division of Penguin Random House, said... Uh, there, there's a thing I had done, I, and I, I, I had never written anything so quickly. It was a, just a couple of paragraphs taking the first paragraph of Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House, and, and breaking it down into its copy editorial parts. You know, the semicolons, the commas, the choices of adjectives, the rhythm, the this, that. And I just sort of did it, and it was published, and people were highly amused by it. And my friend said, I would like to read a whole book of that and that's what this is going to be it's Dreyer's fiction uh, and I am taking a lot of examples of a lot of writing that I love and have always loved and I'm breaking it down copy editorially to to be amusing to readers who it's like who like to see what happens when you pull the curtain back mm-hmm. um, hopefully helpful to writers who can learn um, that you know that there's that a piece of writing isn't simply oh that's really brilliant it's like yes but why yeah you know what is what is Virginia Woolf doing that works so well what is you know David Mitchell doing that works mm-hmm. so well you know can, can we what can we learn from it so I'm doing that which means I'm doing a lot of reading and taking taking notes and then I figure there will probably be some you know some some good in the trenches stories that I, I didn't slip into the first book that, that people might like. And um, it's going to be fun. 
Yeah, that sounds good. Interesting. Yeah, I like, yeah. I like the sound of that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's. I, I, I think it's going to be a blast. And awesome. in, in another five years, or uh, sooner. It's, uh, it's not going to be quite that long, uh, but it's. I, I am I am reminded that even when you are not wrestling with writer's block, uh, if you have a full time job, particularly one that is 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 about immersion in reading, there's only so many hours of the day you can spend reading. Yeah. So I have to I have to I have to pace myself. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it has been the saving grace of being published by my own house, the house that I work for. Um, that uh, as as I as I like to say during the long slog of getting the first book done, it's like you know where I am all day, <laughs> you know what I'm doing. Uh, but I, I, I yeah, I'm picking up the pace on this one for sure. Great, as you say, reading all day and stuff like that as part of the job. Does that do you still find time and find enjoyment at reading for pleasure as well, or is that difficult sometimes? I. You know, um, for a number of reasons, one of them, of course, being that I'm now doing reading for the new book. And that has to be, you know, yeah. it has to be done. And, and, I'm, and the thing is, this is not going to be a book about exposing writing I don't like to criticism. No. It's like everything that I want to write about is going to be something that I like. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that kind of reading. I have found in the last few months, since we all got locked up that my attention span uh, for um, uh, for reading is kind of limited and uh, and I find myself um, you know reading all day for work reading stuff for the book when it comes to any other sort of reading I've only really been rereading it's mm-hmm. like I go back and even if I even books that I, I'm not really going to write about, I'm going back and just rereading things that I like because I don't have the um, I just don't have the concentration. Yeah, no, I do uh, right not. Mean... on new things, and I'm watching a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would you? Uh, has this made you want to perhaps write a fiction book of of your own? Yes, absolutely. Um, and and that and and that of course was my counter offer. <laughs> When, when, when people were saying, well, why don't you write Dreyer's English for business? I was like, why don't I write a novel? <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I remember having, uh, having, a, having a drink with my, with my agent, whom I love. And, and she says, you know, Benjamin, whatever it is that you want to do, um, I, I will represent you. And uh, she said, I'm just suggesting that we are having a wonderful moment here and we should sort of restrike while the iron is hot and build on what it is that you've done. And you are not known for your fiction. So we'll get there, <laughs> but maybe let's, let's do something, you know, let's do something driery now. <laughs> and, and she's, you know, and she's, and she's yeah. absolutely right. And, um, and again, going back to, 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 to Susan Camel, Susan said to me, and it was one of the last conversations actually we had. Um, she said, I don't want you trying to write a novel under the threat of a contract. Mm-hmm. You just go and you want to play with fiction, go play with fiction for your own amusement, sit yeah. down, write a story, you know, write a few paragraphs, but do not, do not embark on signing a contract to write a novel. Um, and 
and she's right. And when the time comes, I will sort of, you know, go quiet, go underground, yeah. and play around. I do have a few ideas, um, and we'll get to that. But I, I it, you know, it's going to be a while. Uh, it's like I, I, I'm going to write Dreyer's fiction. Um, I am then going to return to Dreyer's English because uh, the house thinks it's a good idea that at a certain point we put out a second edition. Right. So there will be a second edition of, of Dreyer's English, which will be, you know, like 30 or 35% more and or different. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll, it, you know, it won't be a retread. It'll be mm-hmm. a lot of things I hadn't thought about. A lot of new stuff that popped up. Um, eventually there will be a novel. <laughs> We've kind of covered this already, but what was the last book that you read? Oh, what was the last book? The the the, the last. All right, the last book that I read, not necessarily intending to write about it, but then as I was reading it, I realized there were things in it that I did want to write about. But my intention was just to read it for fun. Um, I reread H.G. Wells's The Time Machine. All right. Oh, nice. I've never read that actually myself. Oh gosh, it is so. It is it is so good, and um, and and the one chapter that I really want to dig in to uh, is 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 toward the is is toward the end, and and um, it is one of the most eloquent depictions of absolute despair and apocalypse that I have ever read, and that's the chapter I want to write about because it's like yeah. we're going to figure out how he did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a spectacular book, and it's it's barely a hundred pages long. Excellent. It does sound like a, quite a fun book that you're writing. Just you know, go back to your favorite books and the, the scenes that excite you the most and deconstructing them. Uh, yeah, yeah. It must be quite, 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 quite a lot of fun. Um, what was the last film that you watched? Um, the, the last film that I watched was a, uh, a film from the mid-1960s starring Natalie Wood and Robert Redford called Inside Daisy Clover, which is about a a young woman who becomes a sort of a a teenage film star. I mean, basically it's like she's Judy Garland, you know, Mm -hmm. she sings and and everybody loves her and they exploit her and, 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 and all these things happen. And it was, you know, it was the thing that I had queued up from Turner classic movies. That was the the next thing to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, the last new thing that I watched, and and I, I just I, I intended to pace myself, and instead binged on it. I watched um, I May Destroy You. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We just finished I, watching that recently. Yeah. Gosh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I um, I thought it was excellent, and I I struggled with it in parts, and then I kind of realized why I was struggling, and that was almost intentional. And it was it's such a clever, well written piece that even when I was like, I don't really agree with what's happening or I don't feel comfortable or the, the way you kind of, you confront questions and that you hadn't, or you don't like to confront about the way you think about things. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's not an enjoyable watch in a lot of places, but it's, it's very, very good. I thought, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I was really, I, I was really impressed with its, its complexity mm. um, in that, you know, I mean, as, as, as is the case with most good fictional writing, almost nobody in it is all good or all 
bad. There are times when the protagonist is absolutely unbearable. Yeah, um, exactly. There are yeah. lots of like muddy issues insofar as complicity mm-hmm. uh, is is concerned. And I and I found it I, I found it just fascinating. And and it, and it is it's 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 the funny thing about and I don't know maybe it's we we start to watch things on TV with the idea that they're supposed to be particularly easily digestible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then we're, a little, we're always a little surprised when they're not. Yeah. Um, um, but sometimes, of course, things just sort of get off on a, on a slightly bumpy start. I don't know if, if you had the HBO new Perry Mason series over there. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It, 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 it's bumpy. The first couple of episodes is like, mm, and and then it just, you know, you, it, it, it pulls it, it puts its hooks into you and just drags yeah, you. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, but, yeah um, absolutely. I had such a good time watching that, too. Excellent. Oh yeah, so the the very last part we do is uh, either or. So um, there's most of them. There's no right, right or wrong answer. Um, we'll let you know when there is. There's one question which I, I, I do have a pet peeve about. I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure first... you're not going to get the answer you want. <laughs> yeah, well, we're certainly. Yeah. Um, the first one: uh, Strunk and White's the elements of style, or the Grammar Girl's quick and dirty tips for better writing. Grammar Girl. Nice. Why is that? Um. A, because I like her. I mean, personally, it's like I like her. Um, B, because she's funny. Um, C, because she really knows her stuff. And D, because I, I, I am not one of those people who, who, you know, who insist on, like, you know, dragging elements of style through a trench and stepping on it. There's a lot of really good stuff in that book. But it was written a really long time Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the thing that I like about, about Mignon is that, you know, she young and, and vibrant and uh, opinionated like me <laughs> and she and she knows herself um nice. tv or cinema tv i like to watch things on my own terms mm-hmm. and on my own time and every now and then there is something spec- visually spectacular enough that warrants for me going to a movie theater to get it on that great big screen experience. Yeah. But as a rule, I find myself very satisfied watching things at home. Great. Nice. Uh, real book or ebook? Real book. Print book. Paper there you book. go, Tarek. I told you. I'm afraid that was the. Uh, that's my, <laughs> Tarek's I always I disappointed. One of the lone voices from the ebook world. I, I, you know what? Um, it, it, I, I, it is. It, I have nothing. I have nothing against. Really. <laughs> um, no one uh, starts a sentence like that with "this going to end well" rebooks. No, I mean part part of my preference simply has to do with the fact that I'm on screen all day. <laughs> yeah. So when I yeah. when I yeah, want to read for something that is not necessarily work related, I like to have a book in my hand. Um, I think that ebooks are wonderful. Um, we really put a lot of effort in, into making them be um, really good for the reader. Uh, I, I certainly think that if uh, if if I were uh, the sort of person who was reading a lot of the sorts of things that uh, tend to be published in those little rack-sized paperbacks, uh, you know, mysteries, thrillers, mm-hmm. romance, that sort of thing, I would be all over ebooks yeah. because you can make the fonts bigger. Um, I just like to read on paper. Fair, Fair enough. enough. Uh, and last one: uh, a fancy restaurant or a takeaway? I, I, I even before being permanently cooped up, <laughs> I like takeaway just fine, and I like doing my own cooking just fine. But I I love going out 
I love Lana. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there there was a long time after I stopped working in restaurants where I couldn't be in a restaurant without being incredibly self-conscious about the entire process. But now I have, you know, over the years I have turned back into a normal human being. <laughs> <laughs> I love, you know, I love being waited on, and I love somebody cooking something really wonderful for me that I didn't have anything to do with yeah. other than pointing at it on the menu and saying, bring me that. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, you were always going to be in a losing, losing one there, Tarek, with the real book ebook question. He was on the cusp. He's on the cusp. I might take it as a half point. <laughs> yeah, you try and take all the points you can. <laughs> Uh, no, I, 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 he obviously sees the merit in ebooks, but yeah, I understand why he prefers real books. Ultimately, he's a smart guy. He's a, he's a, he's a smart guy, Benjamin. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks very much to Benjamin for taking the time to do that. Really appreciate him uh, coming on to the podcast yeah, to talk. That was to a us. lot of fun. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to Dreyer's fiction because I think that sounds brilliant. You know, just yeah. dissecting those scenes in these these great books and seeing why they work will be really interesting. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way to learn mm-hmm. just why, why do good scenes work well? You know, that there's so much to learn from that as well as reading why scenes don't work. But I think there's, it's quite a fun way to learn how yeah. things work. You know, Absolutely. scenes everyone enjoys reading them already. And that's, yeah, it sounds very, very good. And he's also a fan of uh, Perry Mason, which I've just finished watching as well, which oh, I really enjoyed as well. Good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Highly recommend he's, it. He's very good. Matthew Reese. Reese, that's yeah. It. yeah, yeah, he's excellent. Uh huh. No, it's it's uh, if, if you if you remember the Perry Mason from uh, the nineteen eighties, it's very different. I think it's fair <laughs> to say, um, sort of uh, uh, modernized, but set in the nineteen thirties um, or forties. It's, it's a really really worth catching up on if you can. Was the old Mason not set in the same time frame? Was it? Yeah. Uh, I'd need to watch it again, but no, I don't think it was. I think it was set in the eighties. I think it oh, was. Oh right, yeah. They, yeah. Also, they have changed. It's like a more early confidential feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very good though. It's excellent. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So if you've not got your copies of Dryer's English, I would highly recommend picking that one up. And uh, also, uh, State sounds like a great game. To, yeah, yeah, if you're into that sort of thing. So if that go. Um, you know, a good Christmas game, I would say, assuming we're allowed to speak to other human beings at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it sounds great. Um, so thanks very much to Benjamin for coming on again. Uh, and we look forward to Dryer's Fiction, as we say. Um, we've got another great guest next week for our 50th episode, Tarek. The big one. We do indeed. Uh, next week, we are chatting with Peng Shepherd, who her first book, The Book of M, came out last year. And her second book, The Cartographer's, is due out very shortly. Yeah, it's. I think it's due out next next summer. But um, we talked to her about both books and the book of M. If you've not checked it out, I would highly recommend. It's um, a sort of speculative. Uh, would you say apocalyptic? Is that is that's kind of dystopian yeah. thing? Yeah, isn't it? but it's not something like The Walking Dead. No. it's it's more Station Eleven. That kind yeah, of literary, exactly. speculative, as you say. That kind of yeah, really well written yeah. apocalyptic fiction about people's shadows disappearing. Uh, yeah. which is it, it's a really you know high concept brilliant idea i think yeah and, and yeah it reminded me a lot of the leftovers yeah and she also had a really interesting uh route to publishing quite a quick route to publishing it has <laughs> to be said um but uh I, yeah it's a really great episode with peng so hope you tune in for that one um as ever if you enjoyed the episode i would ask that you take a couple of seconds to give us a rating on your podcast app apple Podcasts, or whatever it is you use 
uh, that we'd really appreciate it. It helps us climb the rankings, especially if you're able to leave a quick review as well. Um, obviously, if it's good, if you hated it, <laughs> please just choose not to bother. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if you uh, or if you'd rather just send us an email telling us how much you hate us, you yeah. can fire one off to podcast at rightgear.co.uk or a tweet to at right underscore gear. Yeah. So thanks very much for tuning in and we'll speak to you for the big 50th episode next week. See you next week.